Do you know that the birth of Jesus was disappointing to some people? You know that? Well, today I'm going to tell you about the story of the birth of Jesus. And frankly, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to teach you Luke chapter 2. It's a familiar story to many of you, but there's something beautiful about going to the original story and just sharing it in, in a way that it's meant to be shared. So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And I'm just going to invite you to posture yourself before the Scripture as a child today. Much like these kids miraculously all sat here quite well behaved, the power of a candy cane, I guess. Um, Charles Dickens has this quote that says, It is good to be children sometimes, and never better than Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. So I'm going to encourage you to take that posture this morning, no matter where you are in your faith journey. So Luke chapter 2 is where we are, and so if you have it there, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm just going to kind of go through these first few verses and help you understand a little bit about what's going on, because it's quite important. So the first verse says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So who is Caesar Augustus? He is the emperor of Rome. He is a big deal. That all the world, and when it says all the world, it doesn't mean literally all the world. It means his empire, which if you're a Caesar, all the world is your empire. I mean, you feel, you feel like you pretty much run it all. So he's a very powerful person. So there's this decree that goes out by Caesar Augustus that all the world or people in his empire should be registered. Here's why he put out this decree. Because he's going to get really, really serious about taxation. And he wants to make sure he knows how many people live within his uh, empire so that he can make sure he gets all the money that he wants to get as Caesar. So he's going to count how many people there are and where they are. So verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So uh, he, this governor of Syria, was worked for Caesar Augustus in a particular area that the Bible begins to kind of narrow its focus on. In this area is an area included in Judea where Mary and Joseph lived, okay? So this is why it's relevant. Mary and Joseph, Mary's the mother of Jesus. So all went to be registered, each to his own town. So the way it worked was that if there is a census, like you have to go back to your hometown and be counted there. And so some of the smaller cities uh, that uh, people had moved away from, as people began to go back to the town, they got quite full. Right, all the homes got full, and maybe if there were some some uh, kind of temporary quarters, like we would consider a motel or an inn, th- those things got full also. And Joseph, who is Mary's husband, also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the, of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now. This phrase, it's coming up, is so important, and we could just quickly read it, but maybe miss it. And so it says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The concept of a woman giving birth is familiar to all of us, right? And as we read this passage, and maybe you've been in the Bible before, or been in a church in the past, or maybe heard somebody talk about Christmas being about the birth of Jesus, you might read this and go, okay, so Mary gives birth to a child. And these few words seem quite ordinary on the surface, But the phrase, the time came for her to give birth, is meant to create in you and I a sense of anticipation for what's about to come. It's meant to create a stir in us, a little bit of a longing in us, a desire in us. Kind of like the feeling my kids have right now as they hear tomorrow morning we get to open that stack of presents that's under the tree. 
Maybe you have the same kind of longing and feeling. Well, as we read this passage, the time came for her to give birth. Our hearts are stirred. You know, Jeannie and I have been blessed with four children. And with each of those, we had somewhere below nine months to anticipate the birth of that child. We got excited. We prepared. We knew that our lives would change forever. And in some ways, that period felt like a long time. We have a few in our church that are pregnant that can really identify with this, I'm sure. We were able to plan for, to prepare for, hope for, long for the day when we get to see that child's face. In other ways, it went quite quickly. Our excitement was mixed with fear, and we did not fully understand what the birth of a child would mean for our lives. And each time we were around our parents or our friends, we got even more excited. Why? Because they would say, oh, I can't wait to see that little child. And what are you going to name them? And is it a boy or a girl? Or, or um, you know, our friends would say, oh, you're going to be such great parents. Or you better get some sleep right now. And I'd be like, you know, leave me alone. And, you know, they, there was so much excitement built around this idea of us having a child. But it was at most nine months of it. Now, I want you to consider the birth of Jesus because Mary and Joseph knew for less than nine months, like you, you know, a woman today would know, or Jeannie knew, and I knew, that they were going to have a child. But Mary's family and her extended family, the people of Israel, anticipated the arrival of this baby for hundreds, even thousands of years. Catch that. I mean, it's great when you have a child. It was great when we had kids, and we were excited about it and anticipated it, but we didn't anticipate it for any longer than about nine months. But for this baby that Mary's about to have, they're anticipating it, and it's been written about and talked about by the spiritual leaders of Israel for hundreds, even thousands of years, so the anticipation is incredible. So when the passage says the time came for her to give birth, it's not like, oh, the time came for her to give birth, woohoo. No, it's like the time came for her to give birth. So I'm going to say it again, and I want to hear a woohoo from you, okay? Here we go. Let's do this, all right? Here we go. So the time came for her to give birth. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. All right, I'm feeling good now. All right, so, and, and, and it's actually been talked about, as I said, for hundreds of years. In fact, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14 says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. You know the name Emmanuel, it literally in the Hebrew translates with us God. El represents the name of God. And we say it as God with us. Emmanuel shall be his name. God inspired these writers to write about it. In fact, even before Isaiah prophesied, Abraham was promised by God, the father of the nation of Israel, from whom Jesus comes. He was promised that through one of your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And so as the history of Israel went on, they began to anticipate, expect God to intervene and do something. And he provided for them the law, but the law just set a standard by which they would be judged and understand what it means to live righteous lives. But they struggled, they failed. So they were blessed some, they suffered some. And then in the period, (coughs) excuse me, 
between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, Israel began to read the scriptures and see God's promise for a Messiah. And so for this period, there was a longing for what Karl Barth, the famous 20th century theologian, says, the climbing down of God to earth. I love that phrase. That's what Christmas is a celebration of. We're celebrating this climbing down of God to earth. And so when the phrase goes, the time came for her to give birth, it was for Israel a fulfillment of what they had anticipated for hundreds of years. Now, not all of them saw it that way. Some of them were disappointed, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, just a little bit of Bible knowledge here for you. Oftentimes when we read this story, in fact, the way it was read from the beginner's Bible, we think about, we read the story and hear that there was no room for the inn, so they were stuck in like, like a barn, which could be true. But more likely what we believe the scholars are teaching and what I believe is that the, the city had swelled and the beds were full. And because in the homes during this time, oftentimes they would keep the animals inside, especially when it was cooler out. And so chances are the beds were full. There were animals in there, which was not out of the ordinary. But the place that Jesus was born was in a manger in the side room of a home. Chances are there were quite a few people there because, again, everybody had come home for the census. Now, don't let that distract you. I'm just trying to impress you. I studied a little bit this week. And so, but, so there, was no, but there was no room for him enough that he kind of got set to the side, right? He got set to the side in a less than extraordinary birth. Um. And in those days, it would have been completely like, okay. But for us, we look back and we go, wait a minute, hold up. The Messiah, the promised one, was born in, in a manger? It should have been, it should have been more re- well received than that. It should, God should have, the Father should have done something a little more dazzling than that, right? I mean, if I was planning the event, here's what I would have done. I would have prepared by asking my dear friends, uh, Mark and Mickey and Olivia, who I went to their Christmas party this week, and they, they provided some extraordinary desserts. Amen, Mark? All right, so they, I would have said, hey, would you, guys, would you guys make some desserts for this? I would have, would have asked some of the kids to come and do a little presentation, right? Because it's so wonderful when we have the kids and they're reading. I would have asked Lauren and Matt and the band to be there and to play some songs. And, and it would have been a huge spectacle if I were in charge of the birth of the Messiah. But I wasn't. And what God chose to do instead is to provide the entrance to become flesh in the form of this little baby in a very ordinary, humble kind of a way. One reason, and I'll talk more about this in just a moment, that people were a bit disappointed in so they did not accept Jesus as the Messiah is because they did not expect God in the flesh as a humble servant. They expected him to come as a conquering king. But God chose a different way. One of the most famous theologians of all time, Athanasius, in his very well-known book called On the Incarnation, says this. The Lord did not come to make a display. He came to heal and to teach suffering men. For one who wanted to make a display of the thing would have been just to appear and dazzle the beholders. 
But for him who came to heal and to teach the way was not merely to dwell here, but to put himself at the disposal of those who needed him. This was God's purpose. This was God's design. The first time that God came in the flesh, he wasn't coming as a conquering king. He was coming as a humble servant. And the first people to hear about the birth of this child were the shepherds, which would be quite interesting, right? Shepherds during this time weren't known to be high-class kind of people. In fact, uh, most scholars believe that these shepherds might have been teenagers or kind of older teenagers, and the scriptures say that, uh, the, that uh, in verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, which you and I would be also, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm just trying to hang out with these sheep, and like, boom, the angels are there. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then many angels joined the angel of the Lord, and they all began singing, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's read that together. As people who are hearing that the Savior was born, let's read this together. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the shepherds go to the manger and they tell Mary, they they show up and go, Mary, we were visited by an angel. And the angel said to us that this child is anointed and this child is the Messiah and there's something special about this child. Mary did not yet fully understand who was laying in that manger. You know the song, the Christmas song, have you heard the song? Mary, did you know that your baby boy... I'll stop there. Um, we, we, I don't know what Mary knew, but what we do know is that she didn't know everything there was to know about who Jesus is. And she heard the shepherds say, and these are ordinary shepherds, like guys, kind of ordinary, rough, say, hey, that this baby you have is, is great, extraordinary. And so we, we read this story, and on the surface, it's like, okay, so there was a baby born in a manger, and uh, Mary is there, and then the shepherds come and say, hey, there's something special about this baby. And we read it from our side and go, wow, extraordinary. But in those days, you know, not everyone accepted it. Why? As I said, because people expected the conquering king, Messiah, but instead what God put in place and put in motion was the humble servant, Messiah. Jesus came, was born, grew up, and serve people. How did he serve people? He served people by loving the marginalized, by welcoming women into his teaching ministry. When the women are sitting at his feet hearing from him, that is profound. He is caring for the sick. When the sick person comes up to him and grabs a hold of his uh, outer garment and is healed, rather than rejecting them and turning them away, he embraces them and welcomes them. Jesus speaks with authority to calm the storms. Jesus is gracious and merciful to this ragtag bunch of disciples that he's called to himself and told them that he wanted to make them fishers of men. When Jesus came and loved and cared 
And rather than going and linking arms with the religious elite, in fact, what he did to the religious people is he said, there's a problem with you. You look religious on the outside, but your hearts are wicked and dead. That's a problem. And eventually he got killed for it. But this is all a part of God's plan, and this is the good news of the Bible. When Jesus died on a cross, this is in fact the reason he came. Luke chapter 10, there's this passage in there that says, when Jesus is doing ministry and he's healing and he's helping and he's loving and he's caring and he's praying and he's doing all these things, and there's a crowd with him at one point, and then he becomes less popular the closer he gets to Jerusalem. But there's this passage in Luke chapter 10, I think about it often, because this describes the point he came. It says, Jesus set his heart and mind on Jerusalem and went there. Because Jerusalem at the cross is why he came. And so whenever he died on a cross and then was raised from the dead, he made a way for us to be served by his life so that our sins could be forgiven. So the story of the birth of Jesus is more than just this, oh, so neat, a baby was born. It's like, whoa, God came to earth. He climbed down so that you and I can be born again. So I opened by telling you about my friend who's giving his wife a vacuum for Christmas. And as I said, this is a true story. And he thinks it's going to be really funny. And his wife is going to be disappointed when she first opens that package. But as she spends time with the package and opens it up and discovers it, you know what she's going to find inside? A diamond necklace. On the surface, the gift didn't look like much, but its value is so great. And I know what's going to happen. I I know her also, and I know what's going to happen. She's going to open that package. It's going to be a vacuum. She's probably going to punch him. You know, she's going to be disappointed. There's going to be some distance. And then she, she may go, okay, what does this thing do? This is a cordless vacuum. Okay, well, kind of cool. And then she's going to begin spending time with it. And then somewhere within the vacuum, she's going to find this beautiful necklace. And then what she, will she do? She'll be excited, right? She'll be happy to tell people about it. She, she may even cry. Hey, raise your hand, ladies, if you'd cry if you received a diamond necklace. Okay, just make note of that, guys. Right, sitting right next to you, you still got time. She, she'll be excited. She, she'll tell others, right? And, and in the same way, when we spend time with the God who climbed down in the person of Jesus Christ, we will uncover the beauty and the majesty of it. But there is a difference in how my friend's wife is going to respond and how we get to respond. Here's the difference. For my wife's friend, the peak of her excitement is going to be seeing that gift for the very first time. You know, over time, it's going to grow old. I mean, she's got a diamond necklace. You know, next year, it's got to be something else. Which is why I always buy really low standard things, and that way I don't have to kind of raise the standard. Surprise. I love you. Um... (laughs) But here's the thing with Jesus. When you receive Christ, you get to to enjoy and experience the beauty and the majesty of Jesus more and more and more. That's the difference. 
And the more clearly you get to hold up who, the truth of who Jesus is like a beautiful diamond and turn it around and get different views of it, you'll get, you are more awed by it. It doesn't wear off. And so you may come to Jesus the very first time like, oh, this is quite ordinary. Maybe you're here and you're like, okay, it's Christmas. I'm going to come to church. Somebody invited me to church. Jesus, quite ordinary. What's the difference with Jesus and everything else going on out there? And I'm telling you is this. If you will spend some time with Jesus, here's what you'll learn. The story of God climbing down to earth will change your life. You'll tell others about it. You'll be excited about it. Your joy will explode. And all of this happens in increasing measure until he returns. You see, Christmas is a time we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but it's also a time, and in the life of our church, we have talked a lot about anticipating the return of Jesus. The Bible says our lives are like a mist. They're here for a moment, and then they're gone. Our lives are not going to go on forever. Eternity is not going to, um, we're not going to live for eternity. And Jesus is going to return is what the Bible teaches and is what we believe. So between now and then, we enjoy Jesus and we share Jesus and we try to live like Christ would in the community, which is why our community is involved in things like helping provide gifts for kids that are needy in the community by helping in recovery of Harvey and doing so many other things, helping plant churches all around the city. That's, that's why we do it. Because we, as we get to see and experience Christ, we want to reflect Christ to the world, believing that there's a day when he will return. This is the meaning of Christmas. It's no ordinary day. So we can rejoice because Jesus the Savior was born and he will return.